0: Are you here? <laughs> you're probably here. I'm guessing you're here. You're in the right place. You're tuned into the Paul Leslie Hour. At the right time, here and now. So now that we're together on that, we know what is certain. Except, what do we have for you here today? Well, in certainty, we have an interview from the archives with Miss Susan Egan, most likely. No. Most definitely. It is Paul's interview with Broadway actress, singer, concert performer, recording artist, and dancer Susan Egan. Susan came on to talk about her then-new album, The Secret of Happiness, among other topics. Now, this interview is one of those lighthearted but heartfelt interviews. You know the type. You'll love it. This was a telephone interview, or as they say in the biz, a phoner. Susan was on the West Coast, but rumor has it she now lives in Nashville, which would be the mid-coast on the Cumberland River. Beautiful place, no beachfront property, but it's a great place to live, work, and raise your family. And especially if you like music. Now, you probably want to support the Paul Leslie Hour. That'd be the right thing to do if you would simply visit www thepaulleslie.com support and at that point in time, which would be then and only then, make a small, medium, or large contribution. Just go ahead and do it. It's the right thing at the right time. So, are you still here? Well, I think it's quite possibly the right time to start the interview Let's
1: do it, Daddy-O! Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to welcome Susan Egan.
2: Hi, Paul, how are you?
1: Very good. Thank you for taking the time to do this.
2: My pleasure.
1: You have a really good speaking voice in addition to a good singing voice.
2: (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, I do actually some voiceover work, so there you go.
1: So tell us, who is the real Susan Egan?
2: It depends when you're talking to me. There's actually a song on my album about that called Me of the Moment. And I think any woman who's a mom and also working and also still a daughter and a sister and a friend and all that, we're constantly changing identities. Who's the real Susan Egan? I guess she would be the stay-at-home mom and the girl who's who's still finding a creative outlet. and bonding with other ladies like myself.
1: Our special guest is Susan Egan. You have this album out. It's on LML Music. It's called The Secret of Happiness. Do you have a favorite song from the album?
2: The song that I think started the album itself, I, I do a lot of live concerts, and I I, perform, I change up my material all the time, depending on you know the mood that strikes me and what I'm going through in my life. And, About three years ago, I wrote a song called Nina Doesn't Care about my daughter, who was 18 months at the time, and about how she doesn't care that I was Belle or a Disney princess or anything that I thought once upon a time, I thought someday I'm going to be a mom and my daughter's going to think I'm really cool because look what I've done. And of course, any parent will tell you that... All children believe we only started to exist once we had them. There was no life before that child. And that's the way it should be. But anyway, I wrote the song, Nina Doesn't Care. And after each of my concerts, when they were selling my CDs in the lobby, people kept asking, now, which album has the song Nina Doesn't Care on it? And after about six months of that, I thought, ah, okay, maybe it's time to do a new album. And that sort of became the focal point. This idea that I'm in a different chapter in my life, I'm still the same person that I was. I've just added some new identities to that, as anybody will tell you, that's, that's what happens. We don't shift from from role to role in our lives. We just keep adding new roles to the plate. And so I guess I would have to say that Nina Doesn't Care is is my favorite because it's the one that inspired the rest of the album.
1: You mentioned a few things there you were Belle in Beauty and the Beast, you've had the chance to work on a lot of different projects. Is there one that you're the most fond of?
2: Somebody once told me that the perfect project comes at the perfect time, and that has really been true. When I was the new girl in town in New York City, I was cast as Belle in Beauty and the Beast. Belle is the new girl in town in her little provincial village in France. Later on, I played Sally Bowles in Cabaret, which I joke, I went from Disney heroine to heroin addict. Very different role. And yet, it was a darker time in my life. I did the show first in 2000, and then I went back into the show in 2003, the same show that we thought was a look back on history in 2000. And then, of course, 9-11 happens, and when I go back into the show, you realize how incredibly relevant. All of the material is in cabaret and how it's not really history. It's it's what we're living through now. And so that was remarkable. That director, Sam Mendes and Rob Marshall, they're, they're both extraordinary as well. So I've kind of run the gamut of projects, whether it's a Disney cartoon or an after school special or a really thoughtful independent film or cabaret or Beauty and the Beast. It all kind of speaks to who you are in the moment. And so I have fond memories of all of them for different reasons. I mean, cabaret is not a pleasant story to tell every night, but it's incredibly fulfilling as an artist. I went right from cabaret, literally, I closed on a Sunday night and I started work as Thoroughly Modern Millie the next day on Monday, (laughs) and they're polar opposites as well. But I realized the purpose of Millie at that same time in the early 2000s in New York City was to be an escape for everything that had just happened in New York. And people need that, too. And so there's a purpose to that. And so there's a delight to wear Crayola-colored costumes and tap dance and just make people smile and laugh. You know, whether it's a thought-provoking piece like like Cabaret or, or a, a Valentine to New York City like Millie, they all come at the right time.
1: Can you tell us about your first performance? Ever? Yes, of any kind.
2: I was in the fifth grade, and I played the narrator in A Christmas Carol, and my sister came to see it and took pictures and lent the world to me, my big sister, who had done some plays in high school. And, and, and I found that as the narrator, <laughs> I was pretty comfortable speaking in front of people, which was ironic because I was an incredibly shy child, but it ended up being kind of a nice outlet to get me out of that shyness. And that was my very first performance. I had no idea, of course, that I would end up doing this for a living. That was not even an option.
1: (laughs) Our special guest is Susan Egan. Your album, The Secret of Happiness, is produced by Georgia Stitt. Tell us about her.
2: Georgia is a woman I met in New York through a gentleman named Michael Kirker at ASCAP. In 2000, I was doing a CD called Coffee House and I was looking for new material and Michael sent me a lot of demo CDs of young hip composers in New York who hadn't quite made it yet. Georgia was one of those and, you know, I listened to all those CDs and they were all kind of ordinary until I popped hers in and she'd written a song called This Ordinary Thursday, which, I mean, how many bajillion love songs are there out there? And yet this one, not only melodically was incredibly moving and fantastic, It redefined love song. Like, how do you have a unique viewpoint on a love song? And she did. The song was about the fishbowl life that New York City is and how she was spending her time looking in the windows of other people's lives and how interesting their lives were and how dull hers seemed until this boy Jason said he was in love with her. And then all of a sudden, she wanted to throw open the curtains to her apartment because she felt like her life was finally worth putting on display as well. And I just loved that. It captured what it's like to live in New York. It captured what it's like to look for love and find it. And I ended up recording that song on her album of the same title, It's Ordinary Thursday. And back you know, in 2000, I chose a different song of hers to put on my album. It was called Sing Me a Happy Song. She's married to Jason Robert Brown, who's probably the voice of our generation. He's the Stephen Sondheim of today. But Georgia is immensely talented and has a show right now that is slated for Broadway. She, she's about to tip. So her name will be a household name very soon. We both ended up moving to LA around the same time and ended up getting pregnant around the same time twice. And we just bonded as people who miss New York and new moms trying to find what you do with children in Los Angeles. And, and we would hang out really as, as friends and pals. And then it just made sense for her to come with me on some of my Disney gig because we could take all four of our kids along and, and we realized that we, we absolutely connect artistically as well. So she's got a new CD out that's this month, that's out this month as well that I am on as well as many other singers. But she produced this album, did all the arrangements, and we have a blog together called glamourandgoop.com and it's about the juxtaposition of Our lives and our careers that seem so glamorous and mommyhood, which seems so goopy, but really sometimes the glamour is coming home and getting a hug from your kid and the goop is getting a bad review from John Simon in New York. And so I think any working mom can relate to the glamour and goop. Ours just happens to be kind of an extreme because our careers are perceived to be so glamorous when, of course, in actuality, they're not. They're just jobs, but jobs that we love. And so we really have a wonderful voice together. And then also because we're spending most of our time as moms, we fuel each other and push each other along to make sure we're getting our creative juices and our creative lives happening as well. So we're good partners in that way.
1: And tell us about Brian (laughs) Hayner.
2: Brian Hayner has this crazy funny story. He is a rock guitarist. He played with Gosh, I mean, Zappa, for everybody in the, in the 80s, like he was the go-to guitar guy. And what's so strange is that in the 90s, you know, he has this kind of secret love of, of Broadway and he heard the cast album of Beauty and the Beast and he's like, wow, someday I want to work with that girl, which totally makes me laugh, by the way, because he liked my voice. Go figure this total acid rocker. His son is Brian Hainer Jr., but he's actually, that's not his stage name. He's in a band called Avenged Sevenfold, and he's a very, very famous rock guitarist as well. And what's funny is that Brian Sr., Brian Hainer, who I'm friends with, plays on their albums as well. And so he's still rocking the world in, in the, with the biggest metal band in the world. And he's a stand-up comic. So this is how I ended up meeting him. My husband works in stand-up comedy. He owns and runs the improv comedy club and has a management company and produces a lot of comedy content for television, Comedy Central, HBO, Showtime, that stuff. And he and I met Brian at a club one night that was so convoluted that my husband's brother, who is a musician, was playing at. And Brian stood up and was just playing with the band that night, and he sang a really funny song that he had written. And my husband went up to him and said, if you wanted to write more comedy songs like that, there are not a lot of people like you, and you could probably make a living not just as a musician, but as a stand-up comic, and I've got these 30 clubs, and if you wanted to try this out, let's see what would happen. So ultimately, Robert, my husband, paired... Brian with one of my husband's clients, who's the biggest comedy act in the world right now. His name is Jeff Dunham. And so Brian has spent the last two and a half years opening for Jeff Dunham all over the world for 30,000 seat arenas. So he and I would just hang out backstage and we realized he's this rock musician bad guy. I am Disney princess good girl, but really we both live somewhere in the middle. And we just hit it off, whether we're playing Scrabble online together or we're writing songs together together. We crack each other up and we kind of balance each other out. So Brian's material that he performs as a stand-up is very, very edgy. There's a line and he has crossed it ten miles ago. It is offensive to everybody. But he has this softer side, and he can't perform it, and so I get to sing those songs, which is great. He co-wrote Nina Doesn't Care. He co-wrote another song for my other daughter called From the Stars, and he wrote outright a song called I Have You, which is a love song he wrote to his wife, Susie, that I recorded on my album because it's just not for his (laughs) demographic. Lucky me. Yeah. He's an amazing talent. He's known as Guitar Guy as a stand-up comic. that's, That's the name he goes by. He's brilliant.
1: Would you say that you're more attracted to the melody or a lyric?
2: Lyric. I think I never really thought I was a terribly good singer. And while I continued to take voice lessons and work on my instrument, I always felt like what might put me at an advantage is being able to act the lyric. You know, there's a lot of really good voices out there. There's a lot of singers, but not a lot of singers who sing the lyric. There's a lot of singers who sing melodies. And I think it's because I was such a fan of Steven Sondheim's and he will hire an actor over a singer any day of the week because the lyrics are so important and telling the story is so important. Of course, if the lyric matches the melody as any good song will, then you've created something really wonderful. But yeah, it has to speak to me lyrically or I just don't connect to a song.
1: Who, in your opinion, is the finest songwriter?
2: Hmm. I am a Sondheim fan for sure. But as far as today goes and who is writing now, I love George's voice because she is able to articulate what so many women are going through right now. And she has a distinct viewpoint and she's able to articulate it in such a beautiful way. She's got a classical background musically, but her lyrics are phenomenal. And I love that. Her husband, (laughs) I've got one of his songs on my album. It's called All Things in Time. He blows me away it's very difficult to write a simple song and he can write something like all things in time that it's so wide and so simple and so beautiful. I think a lot of young composers get very busy thinking that's what Sondheim did. Sondheim was bu- No, Sondheim wasn't busy. Sondheim just had a unique voicing of music, but he was writing truths, whether it's children will listen or no one is alone or being alive He's writing very clear stories. And a lot of young writers kind of meander, but not Jason. I think he's, he's pretty brilliant.
1: What is the greatest lesson you have ever learned?
2: I think the greatest lesson I've learned is that because you will only please half the people half the time, <laughs> you should put yourself in the 50% that is pleased by what you do. It's the advice I give to a lot of kids who ask, How do I get there from here? And there is no one path anywhere, whether you want to be an attorney or you want to be a Broadway actor. But your gut, your inner voice will tell you the best way to get there. And I think people get confused when they ask advice and they try and do what they think other people want them to do. And I think what you have to do is take a listen to everybody's advice and go into some room by yourself and see which pieces of that advice fits with you and feels right and trust your instincts. I've made very unconventional choices, perhaps some of them were mistakes, but it's led me to a place in my life that I never expected I, I would be in and I'm happy. What I thought might make me happy one day isn't really what ended up making me happy. <laughs> and and so you just kind of have to reassess and listen to your gut and Again, even with this album, it's interesting because it's so specific to me. I really chose material that spoke to me. But the comments I've gotten back from people is that it's very relatable. Isn't that ironic? It's so specific to me, but the more specific I became, the more truer to my own individual voice I became, the more universal the themes were. And, you know, I could have put a lot of songs on that you're supposed to sing or that might whatever. But in the end, I need to be pleased with it. And if I'm pleased with it, there will be other people out there who are like-minded people who will also be pleased with it. So I would much rather have that CD than the CD full of music with the composers that I'm supposed to be singing. <laughs> and it kind of just doesn't mean anything to me and then it just kind of doesn't mean anything to anybody.
1: Great answer. Thank you. What is your favorite sound?
2: Laughter. For sure. I've got two kids right now and you know, one of them is is almost five and one of them is almost two. And when they laugh, that uninhibited guffaw that is so just knee-jerk with no editing or thinking about it, it is the funniest thing in the entire world. It's a beautiful sound.
1: What is the best thing about being Susan
2: Egan? <laughs> I get to have my cake and eat it, too. It's not a cake that everybody would want. <laughs> But I love it. My life is very interesting in its ordinariness. I am just a mom, but I'm very lucky to have this outlet and to be surrounded by people who inspire me, whether it's my in laws who do inspire me <laughs> because they're brilliant people, or hanging out with Georgia and Brian, or 40 musicians at the recording session, you know, all of whom are brilliant in their own way. I'm very lucky that. I have the opportunity to express myself. I think in this world, there are places on the planet where the feminine voice has been silenced. And so I believe because I happen to be here as a woman on this planet, in Georgia too, we both think this way. It's important to express ourselves to try and balance out the imbalance. And I'm loving getting to know other women who feel the same way. And there's this new forum of mom blogs and the internet, and it's given an outlet to women who are at home, who just 20 years ago would have been very isolated at home. And now there's a network out there of all these ladies. It's so interesting. I'm new to that community, and I'm loving it. And, you know, it's again, it's an outlet I would never have conceived of 20 years ago but I'm enjoying doing it. So I'm just an ordinary mom who gets to sing on occasion and connect with other moms.
1: As you mentioned, the Internet brings new ways to communicate. My last question, for anyone listening in, what would you say to that person?
2: Mm, That's a great question. True reach is so interesting. You never really even know who's listening, and I've learned that over time. And so for those people who are listening, find inspiration where you can. Again, listen to yourself. I think the arts are are truly spectacular. I think they can buoy us up. It's a very hard time right now in the economy, in the world. And I think we can, on a global level and on an individual level, make changes that make a difference by connecting with each other. So find your inspiration. And it might be a blog. That gets you going in the morning. It might be music. It might be a piece of artwork. It might be a YouTube video. I'm, ho- I'm hoping that my YouTube video inspires some people. But find it, tell that person that they are inspiring you, and then pass it along. Whether it's just a word of kindness to the grocery store clerk, or you know the the person in India who is trying to solve your computer problem. <laughs> We're also impatient with people and. Just taking two more seconds out of your life to be a little bit kinder makes a huge difference in that person's life. And so in that way, we pay it forward.
1: Great answer. Thank you so much.
2: Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. What amazing questions. Thank you.
0: Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaullesley.com. That's thepaullesley.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, The Entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song... Corina Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.